Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It seems likely that tens of thousands of New Yorkers are risking their jobs and perhaps their careers over their decision to refuse to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Vaccine mandates took effect for healthcare workers in the state this week, and New York City school employees, including teachers who are not vaccinated by the end of the business day on Friday, will not be allowed to come to work Monday and will not get paid. These are harsh steps in the pandemic fight. Harsh but to many, necessary. We've tried education, we've tried outreach, we've tried incentives, we should continue doing these things. But ultimately, if people are not going to get vaccinated unless they are required to do that, then we should do so. This week on 880 In-Depth, we speak to a healthcare expert who believes those who choose to not get the vaccine should be treated like those who drive drunk not okay because you should not have the right to transmit a potentially deadly disease to other people. We also hear the story of a healthcare worker from New Jersey who was anti-vaccine for most of the pandemic. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would actually be advocating for the vaccine. That's how against it I was. Um, Very much like this is my body. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. What she saw in her hospital that turned her around. Up next on our In-Depth. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Scheld. And that story of nurse Christy Lintner is worth hearing. Her perspective on first her opposition to the vaccine and now her advocacy for it is coming up a little later. But first, Dr. Lena Wen is one of our go-to experts on COVID-19. Dr. Lena Wen, emergency physician and public health professor at George Washington University. Dr. Wen is also the former health commissioner for the city of Baltimore. We wanted to ask her about New York and the vaccine mandates now in place here across the state for healthcare workers and in the city school system for employees. Our Peter Haskell began the conversation with Dr. Wen asking if she's surprised at a recent spike in vaccinations among those workers in just the past few days, as many have been forced to get the shots or face losing their jobs. 
Well, first of all, it tells us that vaccine mandates work. This is what we're seeing all across the country. We're seeing this with United Airlines. We're seeing this with teachers. And we're seeing this with healthcare workers. And by the way, I just want to say here that this one actually should be a no-brainer because health professionals take an oath. Our oath is to safeguard health and well-being of our patients. This is the reason why we are required to get all kinds of other vaccines. We're required to get the flu vaccine every year. We have to show proof of getting hepatitis and measles and chickenpox. One of the basics of our job is that we cannot be infecting our patients. And this should not, and this vaccine, the COVID vaccine, should not be seen as any difference, particularly while we are in the middle of a global pandemic. Do you think the government should be imposing more mandates? Well, I think that we need to do everything we can in order to increase vaccination rates. Look, this Delta wave that has swept across the country and claimed so many lives, I mean, we're still losing about 2,000 Americans every day. That's horrific. One in 500 Americans have already died from COVID-19. This Delta wave didn't have to happen if we had much higher rates of vaccination in our country. We could have staved off the worst of the Delta wave, as some other countries have, because of their high rates of vaccination. We've tried education. We've tried outreach. we tried incentives. We should continue doing these things. But ultimately, if people are not going to get vaccinated unless they are required to do that, then we should do so. By the way, I want to emphasize here that people have a right to stay unvaccinated if they so choose, just as they have a right to be intoxicated if they so choose. But just as we as a society don't allow people to get behind the wheel of a car when they're intoxicated because they are a risk to other people, we also should at some point set a limit and say, if you want to be unvaccinated, but you want to be in public, unmasked around other people, it's not okay because you should not have the right to transmit a potentially deadly disease to other people. Is that somewhat hyperbolic to compare vaccine to or being unvaccinated to drunk driving? Actually, I just wrote a, um, a, um, a Washington Post column exactly on this topic with a colleague of mine, Sam Wall, a neuroscientist. Um, and we argued exactly this point that, yes, in some ways it sounds like a shocking analogy, but in other ways it's, there are similarities. Both drunk driving as well as remaining unvaccinated are largely preventable. Um, they are both individual decisions that have societal consequences. Both have substantial mortality, although actually deaths due to coronavirus far outstrip those due to drunk driving. About 10,000 people die every year in the U.S. from impaired driving accidents, which is less than the number who die from COVID-19 just in the last week. And so I think we really need to think about this as remaining unvaccinated at this point is not just an individual choice. It's not just about you. There are also people out there, including our children too young to be vaccinated. There are immunocompromised individuals. Also, there are vaccinated people who are still susceptible to getting breakthrough infections because of the high level of virus around us. It should not be acceptable to infect other people who have taken all the necessary measures to protect themselves. We're hearing of problems at crowded hospitals, non-COVID patients, like those with heart attacks, might have to wait hours. Do you think vaccination status should impact who gets treated first? Well, 
I thought you were going to go somewhere else with this question, which is to make another point about why vaccination is not just an individual choice. Because when there are so many patients who are unvaccinated and who are getting ill, because we know that those who are vaccinated are 10 times less likely to be hospitalized than those who are unvaccinated. So when that happens, we do unfortunately see care being compromised, not only for people coming in for COVID, but coming in for other issues. Certainly we've seen care compromised on an ongoing basis. I mean, for everyone who thinks rationing of care shouldn't happen, it's already happening. When you have a nurse who normally treats five patients who now has to take care of 10. When you have patients boarding in the emergency department who are waiting there for 20, 30 hours for a bed upstairs in one of our wards or in the ICUs, that's compromised care. That is already happening all over this country. That said, I do think that it would, you know, for us as physicians, as clinicians, we take an oath to treat all of our patients, no matter what their life circumstances, no matter the choices that they may or may not have made to get to that point. I don't think that it's right to specifically deny care in some way to people who are unvaccinated. But I do think that it's up to us as a society to do everything we can to increase vaccination rates so that our hospitals do not face this horrible circumstance of becoming overwhelmed. There are people who are vaccinated who say, you know what, you get sick, that's your problem. As a society, should we care about this? Should we care about other people getting sick if they make these choices? Well, the issue is it's not just about them. One could argue that if you choose to eat unhealthy foods, if you choose to smoke in private, because if you smoke in public, it becomes other people's problems. But if you choose unhealthy behaviors in some other ways, at some point, yes, you could end up costing the healthcare system and and um, and taxpayers. But at the end of the day, it's still mainly about you and the consequences to your health. But in this case, we're talking about a contagious disease. I mean, is it really right that my unvaccinated children could be compromised for their health because of decisions that adults have made to not protect our our, our young vulnerable kids? Is it right that people who are actually vaccinated and have done all the responsible things to physical distance and mask, why should they, the vaccinated, have to pay the price for the unvaccinated? And I think that is what we're seeing across the country. Look, I think that what New York City has done, what San Francisco, Seattle are doing in terms of saying, hey, if you want to come to bars and restaurants and events, you need to get vaccinated. I think that's exactly the kind of, um, of, of policy that we should be implementing. You talked about the vulnerability of children. Soon kids 5 to 11 will be getting vaccines. They're about, or eligible anyway, there are about 30 million of them. How do you think that might affect what we call or hear of this herd immunity? I think it will be extremely difficult for us to reach anything even close to herd immunity without kids also being vaccinated too. Having vaccines available and developed for younger children will be really important for them and for parents. I mean, I speak as the parents, as the mom of two kids, a one-year-old and a four-year-old. I can't wait for them to be able to get vaccinated because otherwise my husband and I are essentially living as if we are not yet vaccinated ourselves. As in, we are still taking a lot of precautions, not for ourselves, but because we want to protect our children. So I think it's important for parents and for kids to have these vaccines be available. But also it's important for society because otherwise um, it will be very difficult for us to reach the point where we have enough immunity that the virus essentially stops spreading, which is this whole concept of herd or community immunity. 
You know, we've got this these hardcore resistors who might never get a shot. How is that going to impact herd immunity? I, you, I mean, you're right that there are some people who are not going to get vaccinated. Um, they are also unlikely to get their children vaccinated if they don't get vaccinated themselves. But we also know that there is this huge other group that is movable. The, a recent HHS, Health and Human Services, um, report rep- uh, said that about half, nearly half of the unvaccinated are what they consider to be the unvaccinated but willing. As in they may have questions, they may need a mandate, they may need something that will push them over the edge. We're actually seeing that for employers that are requiring vaccines, that nearly all their employees, I mean, United Airlines reported more than 99% of their employees are now vaccinated after their mandate. And so I think that's really a powerful testament to, yes, there are some people who are going to be holdouts, but a lot more people are willing to get vaccinated if they see that there's something in it. Last question for you, talking about kids, we still got a ways to go, but what would your guidance be about a Halloween? Well, it's something that my family is actively thinking about. My son, um, who's in preschool, is very excited about um, about going out and doing something fun again. I still think that the advice should be avoid indoor gatherings. However, there can be a lot that's done safely outdoors. So, for example, there could be um, a trick-or-treating that's done safely um, outdoors. Um, there could be outdoor backyard parties, parties in um, or get-togethers in, in parks, um, treasure hunts, and other things that could be a lot of fun. But again, emphasis on being outdoors, not gathering our unvaccinated children indoors over Halloween. Dr. Wan, I thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Of course. Wonderful to speak. Back with our story about the New Jersey nurse and her vaccine turnaround in just a moment. Welcome back to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld. Meet Christy Lintner, registered nurse at the Ocean County Medical Center in Brick, New Jersey, down the Jersey Shore, part of the Hackensack Meridian Health System. We had heard about her story of vaccine hesitancy and wanted to hear more. That story began right at the start of the pandemic last year when she was working on the front lines. I was working in the hospital during the first wave of COVID, which uh, at the time, of course, it was brand new. Nobody had seen this virus before. Nobody's been exposed to it before. And then, boom, there it was. And the only way to describe that first wave was really like a war zone. Um, we, I have never seen a hospital be not only filled to capacity, but almost filled with COVID. Like, it was just astronomical to see that many people so sick. And, the, you know, they would come in and it would be within sometimes hours or the next day that we were had, had to get them on events. And then they would, they would pass away. It was like we were watching people die so rapidly. Um, and with so little information about this virus that um, it was like a war zone. That's really the only way to describe it. Toward the end of 2020, word came about a vaccine. And first on the list to get those shots, Christine Littner and her co-workers. When the vaccine first got announced, um, you know, that it was uh, authorized for emergency use and they were going to push, you know, roll that out and, and health care uh, workers were be were going to be among the first to be eligible to receive it, and um, to me, I was like, "Well, no, not not me. I'm no way going to be first in line for this thing." 
Um, you know, it was made so quickly. You know, these are the thoughts that go through your mind. Wow, it was made so rapidly. What do we know about it? What do we know about long-term effects? Like, what if this, like, somehow down the line winds up hurting me? Um, you know, what if uh, I get this shot and I have an adverse reaction or, or event to this thing? And that was very scary because, to, you know, just as much as there was so much, let's say, in the beginning of the unknown as to the virus itself, well, now when this vaccine came out, I'm like, well, here's a whole nother aspect of the unknown. And, you know, I was fearful of that. And at the time, with the first wave, we saw a lot of that 65 and older with comorbidities. It was mostly your elderly, sick population. And so it kind of gave this, um, I guess you could say, like a false perception of, you know, I'm not at risk. How did things start to change, and when did they start to change for you? So for me, it to change actually over the past uh, few months, and more so into the just the past few weeks. Um, so I had, you know, with the mandates coming out um, uh, amongst healthcare workers, and and of course in other areas, um, all over all over the nation, there's a lot of people now. Uh, mandating it, but amongst healthcare workers specifically, when they mandates started to roll out, I was like, "No way, no how, very against it." Um, but at the same time that I had been so anxious about what am I going to do? I can't quit my job. Uh, you know, I got to provide for my family, and worrying about you know really not wanting this vaccine. Um, at the same time, you know, I show up to work every day. And now we're dealing with a new variant. We're dealing with Delta. Um, so at the same time, I had been seeing a, a much different population, uh, you know, as far as patients who are coming in sick with COVID. It was no longer your sick elderly. It was now 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, sometimes comorbidities, sometimes not. And that was something that we, you know, makes you kind of scratch your head. Like, hey, what's going on? You know, something's changing here. This is not the same, uh, this is not what we saw during the first wave. And so just as much as I was standing my ground, um, not wanting to be told what I'm going to be putting in my body, at the same time, I had this kind of, oh, the only way I could really describe it is kind of like this moral dilemma inside where, you know, I'm believing and standing for one thing, but I'm seeing something else in front of me happening at the same time that's actually the opposite of what I'm standing for, especially with, you know, having young patients that I treat myself who wound up really not making it um, and being in very similar stages of life as myself, being a mother, I have young kids, uh, and I'm seeing patients like that. And to watch them uh, not do well is very scary, very scary. And um, it started to hit me that, you know, regardless what everybody wants to say, regardless of what you see on social media, regardless what family has to say, regardless of what you're you know, peers have to say and all these different pressures and all this type of misinformation and opinions and biases. I actually took a step back and said, wow, like I work on the front lines with COVID from the start and I'm seeing things happening before my eyes. And at some point, where do you shut it all off and say, I'm, I, I'm not going to listen to this anymore. I have to start trusting what's right in front of me and what I'm seeing for myself. And so that's what I did. And, uh, and ultimately, ultimately, that was what led me um, to get the vaccination despite having an exemption. Yes, you heard correctly. Christy Lintner actually didn't even have to get the vaccine. 
She had gotten a religious exemption that could have kept her from getting the shot. Never in a million years would I have thought that I would actually be advocating for the vaccine. That's how against it I was. Um, Very much like, this is my body. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Christy Littner got her second dose of the vaccine earlier this month and is now telling as many people as she can to make their own choice, but to not ignore what they're seeing with their own eyes. COVID-19 is not, uh, it's not made up. It's not fabricated, and people really are dying. Um, and it's very unfortunate um, to, to see it happen. And a lot of times what happens is people think it won't happen to me. It, you know, I'm not at risk. It won't happen to me. And unfortunately, that's not so. I'm seeing people come in who have felt that very way and are looking me in the eyes right now saying, I wish I got the vaccine. And that, to me, is like daunting. It's, it's, a, it's like, wow, how do I let people know that? And so that's what I, that's really the thing. I understand where the fear comes from. I understand the anxiety. But we have to also realize that this thing is real and that um, anybody, anybody can be at risk. And sometimes we don't, we just don't know what the outcome is going to be. And at this point, I am seeing that we do have, um, that the vaccine is effective and they fare pretty well compared to the unvaccinated. And that is what I'm seeing for myself. Our thanks to Christy Littner for sharing her story with our Peter Haskell. 880 In-Depth is our attempt each week to give you more information on a topic of importance in our community. We want these stories to help our understanding of these issues. We hope it does the same for you. Peter Haskell and myself, Tim Scheld, are the executive producers. Dempsey Pilat helps our production and digital delivery. You can listen every week on demand. Just search 880 In-Depth wherever you get your audio. I subscribe on my iPhone, and I don't miss a week. Thank you for listening, and as always, be safe. All-Star Closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.